1: This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we got a special guest for you. His name is Adam Davis. So he is a speaker and a writer and his books include, a lot of you guys have seen these and you've definitely heard of one of them, I know for sure. But one is Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. So that is specifically for first responders. It's amazing. It is really a perennial bestseller and is re- recommended for a lot of people that are in law enforcement and leaders for them nationally. Also, Bulletproof Marriage. So a lot of you guys are in the Christian marriage circles, and you've gone through stuff like that with your spouse. It's a 90-day devotional. Uh, This is one that he co-wrote with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who's an alumni of the podcast here. And then also he's a co-writer on On Spiritual Combat, 30 Missions for Victorious Warfare. So this is a guy who is doing a lot of really incredible things in some unique areas. So as you'll hear in this podcast, in this episode that we're talking about, a lot of the things that he does, whether he's talking about how to uh, be spiritually resilient or how to have a good marriage or, or how to operate as a law enforcement officer and be spiritual at the same time. The reason why he's doing these things is because he saw a gap that needed to be filled and he's going to fill it. And that's if, if nothing else, if you get nothing else from the podcast today, that's the message that I got from the time that I spent with him. I just wrapped up the call. He could not have been more accommodating or gracious with his time and with his, his ideas and what he was able to share. But the thing is, is a lot of us notice that there are gaps that need to be filled. And then we just expect someone else is going to do it right. And it can be something small, like walking past a piece of trash, or it can be something large, like something that, you know, you need to speak about with your wife or with your kid. And you just kind of leave it be or that business that you know you should launch because God's telling you or that book that you should write or whatever the situation is. But this is a guy that is just over and over and he's doing it imperfectly as he admits. But the thing about this guy is he's fueled by something that a lot of people have struggled with, but haven't talked about. And so we're going to go in a lot of different places in this podcast, but we start off with stuff that he suffered the abuse that he suffered at the hands of these heinous human beings early on in his life. And the thing about it, guys, is a lot of people that have that as part of their story, their story doesn't end up well, right? They, they don't lean on God. They don't get the help that they need. And so that becomes the defining moment of their life is the abuse that they suffered, but not for Adam Davis, not by a long shot. He he took his lumps. He's definitely made his mistakes and he's owned up to those things and he's owned up to the hatred that grew in his heart for the people that wronged him as he grew up. But to hear how he speaks now, I mean, it gets me excited, gets me jazzed up. And guys, I don't want to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Adam Davis, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast.
0: Kyle, thank you so much for having me on, brother. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, we're so happy to have you on today. I know a lot of guys on this podcast are going to really appreciate some of the things that you have to say in the subject matters that we're going to be talking about. And we're going to go into a lot of different areas today. But the first thing I want to talk about, it is a little bit of a somber note, but it's it's a story of resilience for you in your yep. life. And that's what we talk about all the time with this with this ministry is making sure that you're mentally, physically, and spiritually resilient. And yep. you were kind of forged in a crucible of uh, some pretty bad circumstances early in your life. So I just want to kind of let you speak a little bit to that because a lot of people have heard your story, but perhaps our audience hasn't quite heard that yet. But let's talk a little bit about your childhood and unfortunately the abuse that you suffered during that time period.
0: Yep. So uh, as a young child, probably five, six years old, my parents divorced. Mother had to start working uh, different jobs and uh, never forget the day I saw my dad drive away with the UL trailer and really, really wanted to be with my dad. Uh, but mother left me with somebody, uh, to quote unquote babysit us. And, uh, he started by discovering his dad's porn stash and all of the, all the porn videos and magazines and all this and showing that to me. I'm five or six years old. This guy's significantly older, non, you know, there's nobody that's related to me. And, um, and long story short, he, he starts to sodomize me and uh, tries to normalize it and i'm scared to death as a kid to talk about it Uh, i held on that for for a long time Uh, guilt shame fear uh, pain five-year-old kids aren't really trained on how to deal with that kind of stuff and uh, then again at 15 uh, different situation totally different dynamics Uh, again uh, caused me to have a sort of a skewed perspective of of church, not really of God, but of church. Uh, when my mother dropped me off and left me and my sister with a 30 year old married woman with kids, and wound up having a sexual relationship there, why at 15? At and it's supposed to be like this is God's will, you know, that sort of thing. And I know you're supposed to make decisions at 15, right? You know how to make decisions, but uh, things are things are a challenge. In in different dynamics there, but overcome that. the the issue was overcoming all of those those issues, the trauma, how it affects your mind, your perspective, how it affects your perspective of relationships, your ability to trust. And then I got married at 18 years old. So, uh, but you know, it, it was a it was a tough situation. I didn't talk about the uh, the what happened to me as a as a kid, and until about six months before my my first child was born, because I felt like in order to be a a good dad, a better man, get rid of the hate and unforgiveness in my heart because I hated this dude, man. I hated him. I I wanted to take him out. I hated him. And there was so much hate that was killing me. It was destroying me. And so I started dealing with it. And and I think it'll be something i deal with for the rest of my life. But And I hope that I can help other people get set free from stuff that got hit away.
1: Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I know you've shared that with a lot of people. And just the fact that, People see you as a successful person, as a successful author, and we'll get into that uh, here in just a little bit, but the things you've been able to accomplish when you have that in your past, but to kind of go back, cause I want to kind of peel back the onion a little bit on, you know, when you're a little kid, you, you probably had this internal sense that what was happening wasn't, wasn't right. But again, you're, you're little, you don't really know how to process this. Your brain's not, you know, very developed yet, but as you yeah. move into yeah. your teenage years, how did your feelings towards what you suffered as a child change and alter and not necessarily in light of what you experienced you know as a 15 year old but how yeah. did you because you still weren't talking about it at this point but how did your feelings about it change?
0: I think we have an ability to block out certain things in our mind. We have an ability to suppress uh, my feelings of that it was hate that grew and grew and grew and festered and grew uh, pure hatred uh, for what happened to me and I, I never wanted anybody else to feel that pain. So, you know, my my number one dream as a as a, you know, 17, 18 year old kid, even 16, really, was to join the Marine Corps. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to join the Marines, get a college degree, become a lawyer, retire as an old Marine. And that's what I wanted to do. My feelings about that never changed. I was I hated that dude, man. I hated him. I wanted him dead. I wanted him off the the map. I knew that as I go, as I got older into adulthood, I knew he had kids, and I was concerned that he was treating his kids the same way. And um, I just had some, some, some uh, intuition, some, some sort of gut feelings that that was going on, and uh, it was just you know, I'm, my hate never went away for him. My hate never went away for him, but I tried to block it out because it was sort of like if you cut your arm as a kid, you, you not all boys run to their mamas. Some of them want to tape right. it up and put some dirt on it and move on. Hey, I'm good. Don't bother me. And the, you know, I, it was just pure shame, man. Pure shame. And uh, between the shame, you know, the ac- the action itself, uh, there was hate there for that. And then the shame sort of caused that hate to grow exponentially. And um, and and I know people that are dealing with it today in their fifties and sixties that have never that have never addressed it. Well, let's talk a
1: little bit about the shame piece because you hear that that is a common through point when you talk to people that are victims of of childhood sexual abuse or really sexual abuse of any kind is is the amount of shame and that shame is really what leads them to not share because you know I've talked about on this podcast before that shame is a powerful tool when used appropriately because like if you've got a buddy who says, hey man, I'm going to be on a diet and keep me accountable and a week later he's not running anymore and he's eating only Cheetos, it's like you can shame (laughs) that guy into doing some pretty positive things for him himself. But kind of explain for us, for because you know, luckily this is not something I've ever had to deal with, but I know that there are guys in our audience that have dealt with this that maybe haven't come out on the other side like you have. But how were you able to process the shame that you were feeling? And, and even if you could just give us a little bit of insight into what that shame did to you and how debilitating it was.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it screwed me up as far as my perspective of relationships. I, I, I really sort of kept a distance with anybody that was male figure, anybody, and and that wasn't fair to them, Uh, but that's that's just how I dealt with it, and uh, shame caused me to feel unworthy, not good enough, unlovable, um, and that I was just filthy. I wasn't worth anything, but how I dealt with it was understanding that, man, God loves me, and there's nothing that... I could do or anything that could be done to me to change that love. But I'll be honest that the first time I, 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 went to God and I talked to a few people in my life about it and and I went to God and I said, Hey, I, I hate this dude. I, and, and this, this is pure hatred and, and I don't know how to deal with this, but I need, I need you to help me. And so it was a process. It wasn't something that, Hey, I forgive him and move on. I, I had to say that daily. I had to get up and say I forgive him, and I, I want to release all the negative emotions. And I had I had some deep hatred for him, but it, it was really walking in faith. You know, we talk a lot about about forgiveness, and and a lot of guys I've talked to uh, on this topic have said, you know, I'll never forgive so and so for what they did to me, whether it was that or you know, a murdering somebody they loved. I'll never forgive them. Well, the forgiveness was killing me. It wasn't harming this the the, the guy who did this to me. It was killing me. And so I was being hit multiple times, not only by the actions that happened as a kid, not only by the shame, but now the unforgiveness. So it's stacking up the burdens that I'm carrying around instead of laying them down at the feet of the one who could take it all and make all things new. And that's what he did, it was just a process. It doesn't happen overnight, it may take a month, it may take six months, it may take a year. I don't know, it may take longer than that. But for me, it required me to take a step of faith in a, out of a position of obedience to God, trusting that he would take care of it. And he did. Well,
1: I think that's a great word there. And I, I'd feel remiss if I didn't feel in the last just few minutes hearing you talk, I feel even God telling me that, guys, if you were struggling with, with feelings like this, you've got my contact information. I'm going to make sure that you have Adam's. Like, Tell us, like we're just guys that are, you know, playing out of out of your headphones or playing in the speakers of your car. Let us know. And and you know, unfortunately, I guess fortunately and unfortunately, I've had people that have reached out to me before on this podcast that don't know me to share some of the things that they've dealt with. And that's the thing is getting it out there. it, It can't grow if it's in the light. And that's where God does His best work. And God's in complete control. And I think that's a great word there. A slight transition from kind of what you've experienced. There's there's more guys that are kind of in our world, like guys that focus on trying to be a sheepdog and trying to be uh, a defender of, of you know people that can't really defend themselves. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think your expertise in the stuff that you've done in your career, but also what you've experienced as a child kind of lends itself to you helping with child sex trafficking or just getting the word out about things like that? Cause I know that's not a huge part of what you do, Adam, but I know that it's yeah. something that that is important to you and it's becoming very, very important to a lot of guys that are either in <laughs> or out or retired from the law enforcement or military uh, world. So kind of give us a sense of, of your, your thoughts on that and, and what guys like us can do to help.
0: Yeah. So understanding that there is a, there is a behavior of, Of a predator and that they're not always just going to show up and commit an act it it seldom happens that way it it happens through grooming it's a complex process oftentimes where they have somebody that they have that they are close with and a lot of this it, it may be even subconsciously occurring where they're developing relationships with people and they're getting them accustomed to a certain behaviors, certain touches, certain uh, things that would be considered inappropriate. But because of their conversations and the way they're leading them and they're grooming them. So you understand that that this could be your neighbor, that this could be uh, a family member. This could be somebody within your church. This could be somebody that uh, lives close to you. This this is absolutely you have to look for the signs. You have to look for what's going on. And there's certain there's certain uh, non-negotiables, right? There we, we don't have, uh, you know, guys shouldn't, you know, kids, small kids shouldn't be spending the night with with certain people. I don't allow my kids to spend the night with anybody. There, there, we don't have sleepovers. We don't do those kind of things. Uh, and maybe that's overprotective, but looking, looking for the signs and looking for the, the, the sort of the red flags of uh, of these conversations there should be no reason a, a grown adult is talking to to a teenager without without my consent without me knowing everything that's going on and if you're a parent you need to be all up in your kids' business and that was that was one of the issues on my end my parents my, my mother wasn't all up in my business and uh and when i brought it to their attention she brushed it off and so that brought up another whole issue that i had to deal with and so uh, I could go into great detail, graphic detail, explicit detail, and tell you everything that happened when I was five and 15. And, uh, and, and and I feel like we have to be willing to listen to our children, to look for the signs, to pay attention. It's not being hypervigilant. We, we live in a day and age where literally the enemy is roaming, looking to kill, steal, and destroy, and he starts with the lives of children. If he can destroy the innocence of a child, he, he can destroy their destiny. He can rob them of their future, and it's our job as sheepdogs to step in and look for these things. Not not only in the workplace, not only in school, but within churches, predators abide within church walls, and we have to be willing to address it and have the have the testicular fortitude to stand up to them and say, "Not on our watch. You're not doing this to our
1: And that's the thing I feel like a lot of... That's not a message, Adam, that you get from the pulpit, unfortunately. I mean, you're going to sit in a lot of churches, and there's a lot of guys sitting here right now that you've sat in the pews or you've sat in the cushy chairs and you've done the up-down thing at the Catholic Church and you've done the, yeah, sure, whatever at the Baptist Church. But you're not hearing this from the pulpit. You're hearing it from guys like us. You're hearing it from guys that have this experience. And, you know, everyone knows the see see something, say something, right? Everyone knows that and everyone's heard of that before. But then how many guys just go... They, they know what their gut's telling them. They know maybe what the Holy Spirit's telling them, but they're like, ah, that's too much trouble to try to get into. Because the worst case scenario for some of these guys is that you're going to have to eat a little bit of crow. Maybe, maybe you challenge somebody, maybe you ask them a very direct question. And then you have to kind of go back and say, Hey man, I was just being vigilant for my children. But so many parents now seem to be focused on being buddies with their kids and not wanting to interfere in their social lives and all that. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, these are your children. Like until they're out of your house, they're in your care and you're going to have to answer for how you've cared for them. So, so why do you think that just to kind of even go back to my initial thing before I went off on a diatribe, why aren't more pastors talking in the way that you talk or in the way that I talk about issues like this, where are the sheepdog pastors?
0: Well, I'll, I'll answer it in a, in a roundabout way here. Um, one of the reasons is because I feel like they're they're ruled by fear and not by faith. They they're on a mission to to give us five points to overcome something, to deal with something, to to get a better life. Um, most are afraid of of giving us the word rightly divided because they're afraid that somebody's going to walk out on, them and they're going to take a they're going to take a big check. And um, it's one of the same reasons. Listen, it's not popular. This, this isn't popular. This isn't going to get you a million clips on YouTube. This isn't going to get you a thousand shares on social media. But let me tell you what will. Let me tell you what matters. You know, I call pastors. I've talked to 500 in the past five weeks, probably more. And I call them and I say, how's your prison ministry? And they tell me it's going great. I ask them how their ministry of first responders is going. They don't have a, they don't have a clue what I'm talking about. It's the same reason. They don't know how to address sheepdogs. And if you don't know how to address sheepdogs, you don't know how to address the wolf. And if you don't know how to address either of those issues, you stay on a superficial, uh, fluffy, surface-level milk. You're you're talking about milk. We can't grow as a body because we can't get past negotiating with sin. And until we quit negotiating with sin, we're not going to become true sheepdogs. We're not going to be able to address the wolf. And he's going to continue to take more territory and dominate like he's doing in the world today. That's what you have. You have a, a, a perspective that Christian men are sissies, that they're weak and that they're passive. And a lot of them have been. And it's time to grow a backbone and stand up to the threats that are in the world today and be godly men. Drag up your sword, drag up your shield and go to war for your family. Go to war for other people who can't go to war for themselves. And the reason the world is where it is now is because the body of Christ, the men, the men that were called to be courageous and, and stand up and fight, they've been passive. They've been quiet. Let me tell you something. Faith doesn't make you weak. It makes you unbeatable. When you have faith from the right source, you become unbeatable. And if you're unbeatable, you remain undefeated. And where are the men that are willing to stand up and say, Semper invictus, I will be undefeated, always undefeated because of my faith in Christ. And I will go to war for those who can fight for themselves.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate that message. And you got a lot of guys listening to this right now that are saying, amen, amen, and amen. And I think this is a great time to transition and we'll get into uh, kind of the stuff with law enforcement and your stuff on marriage here in a little bit. But I just want to talk about overall how to be a sheepdog and be a Christian, the spiritual life and faith. And and guys on this podcast will recognize a, another name, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. He was on this podcast a few months ago. And we talked about a new book that y'all co-wrote together on spiritual combat, 30 missions for victorious war. And so, just kind of give us an idea as to why you and Dave wanted to write this book specifically, and kind of yeah. even just the impact that you've seen it have on the types of guys that you just mentioned talking about just a second ago.
0: Yep. Well, well, primarily the reason we needed to put it together is we felt you know, same thing for bulletproof marriage. We felt like there was a there's a there's a there's, a, there's a, a missing element. There's a void in the community of men and women who are willing to stand up to the enemy. And there's a void of something to address those specific dynamics. And and we have both Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman and I have taken calls from men and women. who said, how do I pray? How do I study the Bible? How do I do these things? So we put together a, an essential basic training manual, essentially what it is, on how to go to war in the spirit. Uh, we have everything we need to do battle in the physical, but we neglect the spirit man. And that's why we continue to fail in the physical. You can't win. You can't win unless you win that battle internally first. And once you win that battle internally, then you can take on any enemy in the world. But we uh, we, we wrote it because we felt like there was a, you know, so many people had taken his book on combat and, and there'd been so much success for that book. Uh, we wanted to take that book and turn it into uh, a, a guide, a, a manual uh, that men and women could take and arm themselves spiritually so that they could go to war and things that matter.
1: Well, and with that in mind, why do you think most guys are really kind of cleaving to the books that, that he's written before and to even a book like this, that is about combat, but more in the spiritual realm. Why do you think most guys are thirsting for that?
0: Because there's a lack of it. They're hungry. They're hungry for something that is, that is, uh, that's not fluff. They're hungry for something that goes deep and takes them and, and teaches them what, is is not being taught in a lot of places i mean let's just be honest uh who's gonna who's gonna tell you without being weird and wacky with some left field theology how to deal with the with spiritual warfare you know what i'm saying I, 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 listen it's, it's it is more real than what you can see feel touch taste hear smell right now it is more real what goes on in the spirit so they they're hungering for that because it's real you know, if, if uh, it's the same thing with with bulletproof marriage, it's real. It's talking about real stuff. It's hitting them right there in the middle of their life. And when they're when they open it up and they read those, those words, they're able to see how this applies to them and how it's been real in their life from day one. And it's just it's removing some of the masks that are that have been put over our eyes. Uh, and, and correcting some perspective about the issue.
1: Well, you keep using the word "real" there, and I just got to be honest. I was a guy that didn't grow up in church. I, I I grew up in Oklahoma, so I was kind of a you know believer in God by default, right? Because of where I was born, yeah. like that kind of a deal. And and a lot of people have that. And so I didn't when I started going to church. Like they didn't really talk about spiritual warfare. You know, it was kind of yeah. mentioned as they were kind of you know they were just glazing over it as they were going through certain parts of the Bible. But it definitely wasn't gone into in a fairly extreme degree. And then yes, there are those. <laughs> of more wacky folks that do the you know down by the river revivals and all they talk about is spiritual warfare and you're like okay there's got to be somebody in the middle that's going to talk about this in a way that's not only palatable but that actually makes sense theologically why aren't more churches and it's it's got to be bigger than just that it's it's kind of weird because that's everyone's kind of canned answer oh it's kind of weird that's why they don't talk about it but if I were to venture a guess and I'd like to get your opinion on it, my guess is that this is Satan at work inside our church by making these pastors too scared to even talk about spiritual warfare, because it's like, if it seems real, then people are going to start fighting the battle because it's like, yeah, you can prepare all day for, you know, the off chance that the neighborhood across from yours is going to try to attack you and your people in your neighborhood. But that's not a real scenario. But if it's another country, and, and they hate you and they hate you just because of your belief system or what you're founded on. Yes, it's real. You really need to prepare for it. So do you think it's Satan that's like just trying to do a very unique way of silencing the pastorate? Or, or am I often, you know, often left no, out of myself?
0: I, I, no, I, th- I think you're uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Let's go back and listen. His strategies haven't changed. The, the strategies of the enemy haven't changed. You go back and look in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had it perfect, man. They had it perfect. They had the perfect world, perfect relationship, had everything they needed. And how did Satan come in? He came in as a serpent with subtle suggestions just to create a moment of doubt, just just a, a glimmer of doubt and question what God had told Adam and Eve directly. And if he can go into a place that was completely perfect with God's presence, why can't he come into our world? we this just sitting in the garden of Eden by a long shot. This is a fallen world. We know that this world is run by him. So I think that it's been a lot of, uh, they've been, you know, suddenly seduced. Seduced by comfort. Seduced by apathy, by laziness, by fear. And it doesn't just come and hit you in the face. It's just like what we talked about when we started off at the top of the interview. A predator is not going to just walk in, 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 in most cases, and and, uh, commit some kind of sexual crime against a a child or an adult. It's going to become, they come in and they start to create that relationship. So we've created a relationship with comfort. We've created a relationship with with everything, but what matters most, and that's the relationship with a creator, with a a, a true voice of hope, with the one who spoke and everything became. We have become so comfortable in dealing with things that, that don't stretch us, that don't cause us to grow, that don't challenge us. We don't want to deal with that. We, we don't want the blowback that comes off of that. And so, yeah, I feel like you're spot on saying, hey, the enemy has, he's got us, he's got us snowed under. And what are we going to do to change, to change this? What are we going to do to remove the blinders? And uh, we have to take a step out of that comfort zone.
1: Yeah, and Adam, you use a great word. You use the word "subtle" because everyone's worried about the tornado that's going to take their house right off the foundation, but they're not worried about the slow decay from the inside of like termites or like a water leak. People aren't as worried about that. That's not as sexy. It's not as you know dramatic or as exciting. But it's those little things that can rot you away from the inside. You know, when you talk about these predators, it's those little things that they just do here or there, and it's those little subtle things that they do. And and again, Satan does like to introduce doubt, and even we were talking on other podcasts with other people, it's just these little doubtful statements that are in the back of your mind that aren't coming from God. You can't put it through a filter and know that it's coming from God because it's coming from the enemy. And he's telling you, this isn't, you're not good enough to do this. Like, yes, you're dirty. No, you're not worthy. Like, all those different things. And it affects you not only in your spiritual life, but it affects you in all your relationships. And uh, before we move on to, to how that will kind of affect a marriage, before we leave this uh, macro topic of your spiritual life and spiritual faith and really spiritual combat, we talk about spiritual. spiritual. Spiritual resilience all the time. Physical, mental, and spiritual resilience is what we talk about all the time. But with spiritual resilience, the ability to bounce back, not just be strong, but the ability to bounce back when you've been knocked down. From your perspective, what are some of the things practically that men listening to this can do to really gird their loins for the the battle and to create that spiritual resilience?
0: Know what you believe. Most men don't fight for anything because they don't know what they believe. And if you if you know what you believe you develop a core of of beliefs based on the scripture know what you believe you'll be willing to fight for it you'll be more apt to fight for it know what you believe you can know that by studying his word further have a solid prayer life that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to have this big ceremony every day but develop a spirit of prayer where you are are in a constant state of prayer that it may not be uh, eloquent words it may uh, and, and the way I do it is a conversation with God. it's just in which he doesn't talk back but is I'm, I'm talking to him conversationally okay um, and, and talk to him like a friend because he said come to me with childlike faith come to me boldly and, and so leave leave the religious eloquent complex you know complex words out of the out of the conversation and talk to him like like we're talking he listens and so have that solid prayer life know what you believe have a solid prayer life study the word you can't have a you, you. can't know what you believe until you study the Word, and have that have that time studying His Word daily. One of the greatest resources I got me, my wife and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage last week. She gifted me with the Tony Tony Evans Bible Commentary. It's one of the absolute best commentaries I've seen. And uh, get you get you something like the Tony Evans Bible Commentary, so that you can dive deeper into the Word and study it. Have a plan know his word. I I have a problem memorizing things. I have a a memory issue, but that is, this helps me to be able to retain it and tie it into a way that I can, I can pull up that scripture whenever I need it. Uh, so know what you believe, have a solid prayer life, have a, have a sort of a a discipline to study his word and have, have men around you that are godly men. Have, have a man, have somebody around you that has gone before you in life, that they, they're further along than, than you are. They've got more experience and then have a man that, that you can help bring up. That's the way we see it in the scripture. You, we are called to make disciples. So be discipled and make disciples. And if you stay busy and you have those goals and you have those those sort of disciplines in your life, then you'll have a, a battle plan in place to to bounce back from anything that you face. Know what you believe. That's most important. Know what you believe.
1: Well, there you go, guys. Those are definitely words to live by, and you've certainly heard me say things like that before. And it's this is the wisdom that you need to live by, and this is this is the way that you get the plans to where you can end up in a place that you want to be. And one thing that you've mentioned, or you mentioned it several times throughout this podcast, you've mentioned your marriage, you mentioned bulletproof marriage. But obviously, you and Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, you wrote Bulletproof Marriage, a ninety-day devotional, um, and that yep. was released not that long ago, and it's it's had a tremendous impact on a lot of people. But for you, why was it important for you to put some of the some of you your thoughts, because they weren't necessarily in the area of marriage initially, but for both of you to spend the time to dedicate to the subject of marriage?
0: You know, it, it comes out of a place of need. It, you know, we, we listen to to our readers. We listen to the people who attend our events. We, we pay attention to the conversations and, and, and some of the core problems uh, that are going on in the lives of sheepdogs. And, but I didn't want to waste my own pain. That's the topic for a, a whole nother conversation is, is the early years of my marriage and, and my, my marriage during law enforcement is I didn't want to waste the pain. I didn't want to waste the, the mistakes. I didn't want to waste the lessons I learned from the sins I committed. And uh, and I wanted to be able to take those lessons and turn them into something that would set other people free. And, and I know that in my in the process of me. Uh, growing and finding healing and being set free, I learned that I wasn't the only one dealing with these issues that you'll read within Bulletproof Merit. Uh, I wasn't the only one. And so when I wrote it, I got a lot of feedback. These folks are like, Hey, how'd you know what was going on in my family? How'd you know what's going on within the four walls of my home? I'm like, cause you're not the only one dude. You're not the only one right. going through this. And so it, it really came from a place of, of need. Uh, and because there's no, there was nothing else on the market specifically for first responders of military couples and so we wanted to provide a a powerful resource and and it's done a lot I mean we've got a we've got an online course that you can go through for seven weeks shake off the apathy and laziness so many couples are are lazy in their approach to their marriage and then one day wake up and they say well where did we go wrong what happened where did it fall apart that's because you were lazy you know you were apathetic about this you let the enemy come in he snuck in started planting those seeds so uh, it, it sort of sharpens just a 90-day uh, challenge. I look at it like sort of a boot camp. Uh, we go, we go to we go to training police academies typically three months in a lot of places. Most of your basic training for military is about three months, but we often fail to train on how we can have the best marriage possible. We're willing to just survive it instead of having a thriving one. So I could talk a whole another hour on that, but I'll leave it there with you.
1: Hey, maybe one of these days down the line, we'll just do one on marriage. But I do want to ask a follow up even on that, because obviously for my wife and I, we've been married for 11 years and a lot of couples don't even get to that point. And we, we've had our knockdown dragouts and we've had our bad and dark moments. But th- yeah. there seems to be this overwhelming sense that marriage, you know, you hear people say it, but it's kind of true. Marriage isn't what it used to be. Right. Because you heard from these families, if you maybe talk to your parents generation or grandparents generation, like divorce was a word that wasn't even used. It was this yeah. thing that even culturally divorce had this negative, uh, negative, connotation around it. But now it's just kind of like, it's just, it's just kind of a thing that happens. It's like, oh, well, you know, my first and second, third marriages didn't go great, but this fourth one's going well for now. And it's like, people are practicing, uh, going, practicing, divorce, even when they're living together before marriage, there's a lot of things that are are going on within the issue of marriage. Why do you think it's gotten to the point that it is now? Is it just the fact that we're in a more secular culture than we maybe ever have been in the history of our country? Or is it maybe something deeper?
0: I think it's something deeper. I think it's something broader. Um, And you have to look at the decay, um, the moral decay in our society. You have to look at what we've been willing to negotiate with and compromise with. Instead of holding true to what we believe, uh, my wife and I got married at 18 years old. We were graduated in May, we're married in September, and it was it was it was hell. Uh, I was I was I was rough, hard to love. I mean, we were kids, and uh, but, but to sit here today and and be celebrating 20 years and, and be in a better place than we've ever been. Uh, is a testament to God's word and the truths of his word, the principles that we learn from his word and and having that commitment. You know, I, I think a lot of times we we are only committed when it's comfortable. We're only committed when it's convenient. We're only committed when when there's something in it for us. And when you remove the benefits that we could get, when you remove the convenience and the comfort, we no longer want to be committed. And we don't want to work for it. We don't want to fight for it. We don't want to Shake off the laziness. We'll just brush it off and be passive about it. And that's just something that's occurred in our society over time that says, "Hey, it's okay. It's okay. It happens. It's okay." No, you know what? It's not okay. Be willing to stand up and fight for your marriage. Well, my wife cheated on me. My husband cheated on me. Okay, let's deal with it. Now, if there's abuse, then whole another conversation, whole another path. We got we got to have another conversation. God did not say stay committed, stay married, so you can stay abused. That's not the, that's not the case. Uh, and, he, and he even gives us now on on adultery. But what are we going to fight for? If you start your relationship saying I'll love you forever, unless you've already you've already completely devalued your love, you got to be willing to fight for it. And if we love selflessly, like Jesus loves us selflessly, then we could we could have better marriages. But we're selfish, we're apathetic, we're lazy. We want somebody to give us a book. Well, you know, I've got a lot of people that bought the course, a lot of folks that bought the course that went didn't even start it because right. there's some kind of good feeling that happens when you say, Oh, I bought this course for us, honey. We're going to go through this course and never do it. Now it feels good. We ain't got to do it. So we just buy it. It's like a magic pill. That's going to make it better for us. It's Like the same people want to lose weight. There's not a magic pill to help you lose weight, put in the work, be disciplined, be committed, fight for it. And if you want the best one, fight for it because I promise you this, the same habits that you have in this one are going to follow you in the next one. And if you, if you don't fight for it now, I mean, next one's not going to be any better.
1: Well, and here's the thing about that is, what a lot of people do, Adam, I feel like is they, they think that movement is is action. They think that movement is, is putting them in a certain direction. So it's like people that buy running shoes because they're going to get in shape and then they never take them out of the box. It's like they've done yeah. something. They can point to yeah. the thing that they've done. But I want to take it even a step further before we move off the subject of marriage. And guys, it's not just fighting about Fighting for your marriage. It's fighting for the marriage of the guys that are in your foxhole. I always talk about foxhole guys here, you know, might be called your band of brothers or whatever you call it, but it's your group of dudes, your 3 a.m. friends. It's fighting for their marriages as well because. I put a lot of relational chips in the center and I put a lot of my chips at risk with friends and had some tough conversations because they were just ready to very easily and quickly and quietly bow out of their marriages and, you know, leave their kids high and dry and leave their spouses. And for a myriad of different circumstances, sometimes it was them that, you know, screwed up. Sometimes it was the wife that screwed up. Sometimes it was both. But the thing is, guys, is if they're not willing to fight for their marriage, that's when it's your opportunity to hop in and help them to smack them around a little bit and say, you were going to regret this for the rest of your life. Let's fast forward 30 years from now. You don't want to look back at this moment and see that you were a pussy instead of a strong man. That's not what you want to end up doing. And so again, I I know I get like fired up about this because guys aren't willing to fight for their own marriages, but also don't just look around at your own, look around and help shoulder the burdens for some of the other guys that are, that you're into, or some of the other guys that you're, you're in their lives with them and helping them on a day-to-day basis. That's another way that you can help strengthen what you've got going on in your side. But um, I'd be miss if we went through an entire conversation with you, Adam, and didn't talk about law enforcement because you are a tremendous influence in the world of law enforcement. You wrote a book called Behind the Badge, 365 Daily Devotions for Law Enforcement. And I just got to tell you, I've got a lot of friends that are in law enforcement, uh, a lot of folks that I really respect, and those guys are getting hit from every angle right now, uh, guys and gals, and they're they're not getting the respect that they, they should very much so deserve. But- take us through the whole process. You, you're a former guy in law enforcement. You, you left, uh, uh, law enforcement, uh, just a few years ago, but why did you write behind the badge and what type of impact are you seeing with that?
0: I wrote behind the badge because I remember my darkest hour as a cop. I couldn't find anything that hit me between the eyes. There was awesome resources by chaplains not knocking any of it, but when I went to search for something, I couldn't find something that spoke to me where I was at. And, uh, I wrote behind the badge. I'll never forget. I was, uh, I'd gotten to a place where I was drinking pretty much every night and uh, I was, I was, I was pretty messed up. I come home, my wife would say, how was your day? Fine. Take off my gear and be silent. Didn't want to talk completely isolated. And um, you know, I I remember where I was at. I remember ready to take my own life. I I remember the day I wanted to take my own life. And um, I remember the, the supervisor who, who told me when I, when I quit drinking, I quit running and, you know, doing all the crap I was doing and running with the circle. And I, he said, you know, you, you'd just be better off. Go kill yourself. We'd be better off if you just go kill yourself. And so I wanted to write it to the hard hearted Adam. I wanted to write it to the guy who used to be so hard hearted and cold and cynical. I wanted to write it to that guy. And I figured if I could write it and get through to that guy, I could reach any officer, any law enforcement officer in America and uh, I wanted to provide them something, you know, every day, every day you have a routine, you have, you have, you have certain things that you have to do in law enforcement. One of the things we fail to do, uh, we, we got great physical training requirements, we get great uh, requirements and training for, for the skills that are necessary, the craft, the tools, but we fail to take care of our soul, of our heart, of our mind, of our, of our, of our spirit man. And so I wanted to provide something that was going to be that daily nourishment. It was never written uh, with an intention, To be the the one-all be-all resource for law enforcement this was created to spark a hunger and an appetite for the things of God to show you that faith doesn't make you weak it makes you unbeatable because that's how I saw it I saw it as a cop that faith made me passive made me weak but then I realized that there's a way that I can be strong that he makes me stronger he makes me strong without him I'm not strong I'm fake and when I have him I become unbeatable and so you know, he—he's given us the authority. He's given us the power, and he's given us all the tools needed. And when we have that peace, when we have the perfect peace that comes from Him, man, it changes everything. It changes our our perspective of the job, of our families, of of the work we're doing, and it empowers us to be better sheepdogs.
1: Well, I can certainly appreciate that sentiment. And the thing is, is these people have taken an oath and they've they've gone through everything they need to go through in order to set themselves up to be a sheepdog, to protect people that maybe don't even like them. So what would you say to any law enforcement? We have quite a bit that listen to this podcast, a lot of first responders that listen to this. What would you say to them right now when every time they turn on the television, it's people in the streets setting stuff on fire, saying how much they hate cops, how all cops are racist, you know, on the hunt to find a black person to kill or whatever these people say, defund the police. What would you say to these people that every day they wake up early, they get on their gear and they head out to go and protect the populace that maybe doesn't even like them?
0: You answered a calling. You answered a calling. And nobody said the calling would be easy. matter of fact, you knew it wouldn't be easy when you you said, yes, send me, I'll go. You knew it wouldn't be easy. You've been through battles before. You've been through hell before. You've been through the fire. This is a, this is just another test. This will pass. This will pass. But you gotta be willing to stand. And if you wanna make it through the fire, you have to be walking, you be willing to walk through the fire with the one who created fire. And if you're willing to be walking through it with him, he'll bring you out the other side. Don't allow the the negative circumstances outside of what you're doing and what he's called you to do to affect your perspective of what he's called you to do. Focus on what he's called you to do. Focus on your assignment. Focus on your job. And those that you serve with shoulder to shoulder, help lift another up. When you when you defeat your demons, don't lay down your sword and shield. Go fight for somebody else. Help them this requires all hands on deck where we're at in our world right now requires every hand every person at their best you have this is this is when we're this is what we were trained for this is why we were made for such a time as this the time of peace and the time when everything's good that's awesome this is why we were put here this is why we were created this is the time for the sheepdog to rise this is time for the for the men and women who have courage who love christ who have his love living in them, who are following the lead of the great shepherd, this is the time for you to rise, to rise to the surface. Everybody else, they have to answer for it themselves. But you, you fight. You stand and fight, and you hold your ground.
1: Well, that is a good word, Adam. We have covered a lot of different subjects, but before we let you go for the day, one thing that we like to do at the end of our interviews is we like to do a segment called What Would You Say to Someone That Said? And then I'm just going to fill in the blanks. But here's the deal is these are going to be big topics, a lot of these. But you got 30 seconds to answer. So it is meat no, and potatoes. It is lightning round. So you got to cut out all the fluff, all the stuff that makes it easier for people to to digest it. Nope, we just need the meat and potatoes. What would you say to someone that said? So you up for it? Yep, let's roll. All right, let's do it. First one here. What would you say to someone that said we should defund the police?
0: I would say you're uh, you're a complete idiot. You have no knowledge of how government works. You have no knowledge of how law enforcement works. And you're basically following the crowd. Stop following the crowd and be a leader. Be the one who gets out there and does something about it. If you want to defund the police, start by defunding politicians. Start by defunding those who support defunding police. It means that nobody's going to come to your house and somebody's got a gun to your face. Nobody's going to respond to your rape. Nobody's going to respond to the robbery, to the burglary, to the murder, to the rape. Nobody's going to be there for that. If you want to defund police, I ask you honestly, please take a search of who you are, what you believe, what you stand for and why you believe that and sit down and at the end of the day, if it makes sense for you, I mean, hey, believe what you want to believe, but at the end of the day, no cops means no peace. All
1: right. Next rapid fire question here. What would you say to someone that said, I want my kids to be in law enforcement?
0: I would say raise them up right then if you want them to be in law enforcement ask them why and then help nurture and develop the the characteristics because you have a young sheepdog and you've been you've been given a great opportunity to raise a sheepdog and that's what we need the world needs great sheepdogs i wouldn't say discourage them from it i talk to a lot of people all the time about it if you want to be in law enforcement men hey law enforcement needs men and women like you then if you have a child that wants to be that way nurture them develop the characteristics be there for them. Raise them. Teach them, what, teach them what it means.
1: All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I don't want my kids to be in law enforcement?
0: Then I'd say that, you know, check why you don't want your kids to be in law enforcement. I think that's pretty realistic. I think it's pretty common. I think it's pretty understandable. Uh, who would want to willingly send, I mean, other than God himself, willingly send his son to die for us. Who would be willing to send their their kid into a, to an environment like law enforcement is right now? But at the same time, ask yourself why are you afraid? If you're afraid, is your child afraid? That's totally that's a totally different conversation. Ask yourself why you don't want your kid to go into law enforcement.
1: All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said, pornography feeds child sex trafficking?
0: I would say you're one hundred percent correct. We need to completely defund pornography. It should be totally shut down and taken off the market. Locked down and, and completely unplugged, take it away. Uh, we could restore a little bit morality in our society if we get we, we get rid of that garbage.
1: You're not going to hear an argument from me on that. All right, next one. What would you say to someone that said, I can't tell anyone about the abuse that I've suffered?
0: I say you're letting shame and pain speak for you. It takes a lot of courage to talk about it. I get it. But the reason I started talking about it is after the first few times I did, I saw that it set people free. And I'm willing to lay mine on the table for somebody else to be set free. You don't understand what kind of healing awaits for you on the other side if you're willing to have the courage, have the balls to talk about it. I'm saying I'm not going to trash you for not talking about it, but I'm saying have a little courage. Let's see what waits on the other side. You're going you're gonna to find a whole another world, a whole better life when you get rid of that garbage that's on the inside, all that hate, bitterness, and resentment. Let's go set you free.
1: Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, it doesn't matter if you check out other women, you're just looking.
0: I say that's a cop out. It's a cheap way of starting your negotiation with adultery, with pornography, with lust, with sin. And Jesus told us that if you look at another woman with lust, you may as well just let with her. Stop negotiating, stop compromising, draw a hard line in the sand and say, this is what I believe and I'm not going to go beyond it. Hold your line. Stand for what you believe. Stop negotiating and compromising.
1: All right. Next one here. Just a couple left. What would you say to someone that said, my marriage can't be salvaged?
0: Mine couldn't either. Uh, But God works in miraculous and mysterious ways. Uh, I feel like that if you put a defining factor on that, then you're putting God in a box. Have you taken it to him yet? If you take it to him and he gives you other instructions, then okay. But if you haven't given him a chance yet, if both of you haven't given him a chance yet, if you haven't truly fought for it, don't tell me you can't save it.
1: All right. Last question of the day, Adam. What would you say to someone that said, there's no such thing as the spiritual battle between good and evil?
0: I would say you haven't experienced it. You haven't researched it. You haven't studied it. You've stayed on the surface level of living. When you go deep, when you understand that this life will end, when you understand what awaits us in eternity, then go and, and do the research yourself. Just take a take a take a chance. Hey, at the end of the day, uh, if, if I'm wrong, what do I what do I have to lose? What do you have to lose? Go and look for yourself, research for yourself, study for yourself. And one day you'll discover it, whether it's now or whether it's later, discover it now so you're later going to be better.
1: Hey, Adam, that is a great way to end this. And we've talked about a lot of different subjects. And, man, I, I appreciate all of your time. But that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest?
0: Hey, you know what? I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what you're going through. I know a lot of people are going through some hard stuff right now. But um, keep fighting. Keep fighting. And for those of you that are experiencing victory, that the, you've, you've, like I said earlier, you've already beat your demons. You've already beat your battles. Don't sit down and prop your feet up there's a lot of folks beside you that that love and care hey listen out look out for your brother help your brother don't be willing to call your brother out when they're doing something stupid because we need each other we're better together don't allow isolation to, to lead you into defeat we need each other find a way to keep united stay together fight for what you believe fight for what you believe because we know that it is very clear the enemy will fight for what they believe stand up righteous men and fight for what you believe in
1: all right adam davis thanks for coming on on daunted life a man's podcast
0: kyle thank you so much brother
1: All right, there you go, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate you guys checking out this episode that we did with Adam. Man, that was a lot of fun for us. We went and talked about a lot of different things. And the funny thing about this interview is we didn't hit on some of the subjects that I wanted to. We did not go in the order that I thought that we would go. But as per usual, it went way better than I ever thought. It could have even gone. And I just really, really enjoyed my time with him. But before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know, by now we are a men's ministry and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like like this podcast, it helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So the two resources I've got for you today, I've got Adam Davis's website, and then I've got his Amazon page. And so if anything that you heard today was of interest to you, any of the books, go to the Amazon page. You'll be able to find the books there. If you're interested in his courses or even getting in touch with him, he also wanted me to give you his email address. So it's just info at theadamdavis.com. That's I-N-F-O at theadamdavis.com. Guys, we talked off air about this and we're serious about this. We talked about child abuse. We talked about sexual abuse in this episode. So if this is something that you've struggled with personally, uh, we don't want you to feel like you're alone. Okay. We're just a couple of guys, right? He, he has experienced this personally. I have not, but we have both seen people through this process and helped them out. And so if that has affected you, I would encourage you to reach out to him again, info at theadamdavis.com. And my email is just info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode. We really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, or Stitcher and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the remainder of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. So if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your church, at your team, hit me up info at Life. Again, the email is info at Life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife and facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.
0: I need to-